Let's turn together to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Thanks to Sarah and to John for leading us. John uh, and Aaron and their kids are packing up the pod, um, getting ready to make the move to Kentucky. And we have uh, next Sunday afternoon set aside to do um, something that has become very commonplace during COVID, I guess. We're going to do a drive-through, say goodbye to them kind of thing, kind of like people have done for birthday parties and other kinds of things. And so uh, we couldn't really do a big gathering for the whole church because of the virus and all that stuff. So what they're going to do is they're going to post up around back under that covered area and you'll just come in and we'll form a line and you'll just get to drive up and uh, say what, what you would like to say to them. If you want to bring them a card, that would be great. If you want to give them something really massive, like physically massive, don't bring it that day because there will not be enough room in the pod for it. Uh, so something very small that they can tuck away and take with them as they uh, get ready to go into what God has next for uh, them and their family there in Owensboro. So that'll be next Sunday afternoon, um, 4.30 to 6. Is that the right time? Anybody? Meg, Meg says yes, so that's yes. Uh, 4.30 to 6, around back. And, of course, they'll be here. Uh, the ninth is their last Sunday, so you could also see them on that morning uh, if you would like to. So uh, as we head into uh, another um, stretch of unknown things with the virus, uh, we're going to continue on as, as planned. Um, and, you know, we'll just kind of see what the, what the rules are and everything as we get closer Sunday to Sunday. Um, but for the foreseeable future, we're going to shift gears into what we would have shifted into with school starting and everything and just kind of have our normal fall Sunday uh, teaching schedule and all that. We're just going to keep, keep that going, which means that uh, our journey through the book of Acts will come to an end today. Uh, but you can keep going if, if you want to on your own. It's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating book, how it all fits together. Um, and we will get to a, a pretty cool conclusion, uh, concluding point today, as there are uh, tens of thousands of new Christians in the city of Jerusalem. Um, it has, has been, uh, they're all there for the festival, um, and uh, the Spirit of God has just been moving in tremendous ways. Uh, through uh, through the the prayers of the saints, through the preaching and teaching of the apostles, through uh, the uh, just the lifting high of Jesus uh, above everything else and Him as Messiah, and the the Spirit has been has been moving, and and there have been thousands and thousands come to know Christ as Savior, and so they're they've all made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for for one festival, and yet they are now realizing that the real purpose that God brought them here for was to hear this gospel message. And the book of Acts is structured in such a way where it, it takes uh, chapter 1, verse 8, which says, you'll receive power when my spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so uh, it, it breaks down in the book of Acts, it takes the Jerusalem section and then it goes to the Judea Samaria section and it does the ends of the earth section, which is it's open ended. So we're actually a part of that last section because we are the ends of the earth. And so um, as as this as the gospel is taking root and as the church is being formed, um, there are, are some there's some different things about them. And so Luke has come along later 
and has done uh, extensive interviews and has compiled uh, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, these two works that actually, they actually fit together. They should kind of be under the same, they should be one big book, like part one, part two of the same book. Um, and as he's interviewing people, he he's, is, is getting direct quotes and he's also getting summaries and he's getting different things. And what we're going to look at today is, is another one of those kind of summaries of what it was like to be a part of, of the community. And so if you look in, in chapter 4, verse 32, I want to look at just the first phrase. It says, Now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. All those who believed were of one heart and soul. Some translations, instead of soul, it says mind. One heart, uh, one heart, one mind. Um, the uh, the Coach O version probably says one team, one heartbeat. You know that kind of thing. Uh, but you kind of get the sense that it's that there's this there's something bigger than them going on. That that they were internally as connected and as like on the same page as you could possibly get. Those words are used throughout the New Testament. Uh, like uh, especially the the word that soul or mind, it's used throughout the New Testament to talk about the the um, the mind, the the emotion, the will, uh, the center of all physical and spiritual life. Um, in other words, they were they were they were unified. Like unity would be a great summary statement. That as Luke is doing his research and as he's talking to people and asking all these things, he's he's saying they were all on the same page. Um, their minds were unified, their hearts were unified, their souls were unified, their, they were as, as one as you could possibly be. And not the, not the like, earthly unity that we tend to think of. This was, this was something deeper, which we're going to see in a second. Another word that you could use would be shalom. That there was a oneness between the people of God and God. They were thinking like him. They were feeling like him. They were they were acting like him. They were speaking like him. They were uh, everything like him. And so that shalom, that that true peace, was there. and And it came from a couple of places. Um, first of all, that unity came from from like Jesus Christ, their Savior. I mean, the one that we've been singing about this morning. That is, that is what first and foremost unified all of them, is that they recognize and put their faith in Jesus as their Savior. Same thing unifies us. Um, their faith in Jesus, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that upon that faith and that forgiveness, that they had been literally filled with God's Spirit uh, in, in a way that was, that was new, in a, in a way that, that Jesus uh, he opened the, the doorway to that through the cross and now was their reality, just like had been uh, prophesied. Um, they were unified by the discipleship they were getting from the apostles. They were, they were being taught what, what to do with this new life. The fact that, that you went from death into life and now you're alive and you're like, well, I don't know, I'm not sure what to do. They were, it, the teaching of the apostles unified them. You know, they didn't have a bunch of voices they were listening to. They didn't have a bunch of authors and, and podcasts and preachers and all these kind of voices telling them all kinds of different things. There was a, a unity that came because it was coming from the men and women who walked with Jesus himself. And they were just repeating what he told them. That unity came from their devotion to that teaching and to the fellowship to one another. To the, 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 a devotion to, to being at the table together 
to uh, taking communion together and to praying together. Acts two forty two. Those devotions. Those all those things unify them. And that's what we talked about for the last few weeks. But here's a, here's a new one I want to add to the, kind of the list of, of what, what was bringing them together. Um, it's this little word called persecution. They were, um, they were targeted. The, this had caused such a stir. It hadn't been that long since Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and caused a stir. And then they murdered him. And then he appeared, you know, he was resurrected, and they weren't sure what to make of that. And now everyone is getting resurrected, you know, like this, this death to life thing is happening and this gospel is catching on. And it is completely terrifying the religious controllers of, of Jerusalem. And uh, they're worried that it's going to get them in trouble with Rome because all Rome really wants to do is just like follow the rules basically. And so everyone's getting worried about this. And so they begin to, to like tighten down on them and they start to get the leaders and to accuse them of things. And they basically say, you, if, if you don't stop teaching the name of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead and, and him as the Messiah, we're going to, we're going to put you in jail. Um, and they're like, okay, that's, uh, you do what you have to do, but we're going to do what we have to do. And so they go back and instead of, of asking the authorities to go easy on them, they just ask God to make them more bold, which he does. And it gets them in more trouble. And so the, the persecution, the, the like oppression that's coming from the religious leaders and from the Roman officials, it, it only intensified. And as you, as you read the re- next couple of chapters in the book of Acts, uh, everything, it just keeps getting ratcheted up. There's a young man named Stephen who they, uh, they, they put him on, on trial. He delivers this fantastic response and they throw him on the ground and throw rocks at him until he's dead. Those are the kinds of things that starts to happen. So it escalates really quickly in the book of Acts. And that's a part of what drives them from Jerusalem back home into Judea and Samaria as they take the gospel. So here, here is, here are the religious people thinking they're so, so smart of like, we're going to, we're going to like oppress them and make them terrified to be a Christian. And that'll keep them quiet and that'll keep Rome off of our back. And all it does is make them run home and tell more people about Jesus and cause more of a stir in the Roman empire. And it's just a whole big thing because God loves to take, uh, like the, the earthly wisdom of, of people who are trying to hurt others and say, actually what you're doing is you're creating more opportunity for me to come in and show them what love and grace and goodness looks like. And so, uh, that's kind of where the book of acts goes, but this, this persecution, uh, it had a unifying effect on them. It didn't separate them. It actually pulled them closer together. Uh, if you think about it, unity in the midst of difficulty uh, is not really that common. Like when, when, when some kind of difficulty, it may not be like religious persecution like this, but when something difficult happens... Um, it doesn't take long for humans to divide and to turn on one another. Um, because uh, all of the difficulty of life, at the root, you trace the roots of that all the way down, it's going to come down to sin. And sin is a divider. That's what, it, you go back to the very beginnings, what is, what is what are one of the things that sin did, what separated Adam and Eve from God, and Adam and Eve from each other, and Adam and Eve from themselves, and Adam and Eve from creation. 
And so all kinds of division is at the root of, of all the difficulty that comes at us. And it doesn't take long before, before that happens. Um, there are, uh, there are times when we have like kind of, we have cultural unity, uh, but it doesn't ever really last. You know, think about the, think about the flood of 16 for a second. Um, you guys remember that? Yeah. Uh, flood of 16, it rains as hard as I've ever seen it rain for 24 straight hours. Remember that? And uh, parts of our like uh, region start filling up with water. And there's, there's this instant unity of we have to get people out of there. So up forms the Cajun Navy and uh, people just doing whatever it takes. There's, there's unity. We had forgotten about the, all of the pain of the, pre, the previous part of that last summer. Um, suddenly, none of that mattered. We, just, we needed to rescue people. And people were literally destroying their boats in order to get people out. Um, and so we got every, everybody out that we could. Every, you know, people are in shelters. You kind of get to that point. And we're like, yes, this, this is the most unifying thing I've ever seen. And it didn't take too long before the unity went away, right? And then we, then we get really divided again because it's like, where's the government? Where are the leaders? Whose fault was this? Uh, where I hate every contractor that comes up to me. You can't trust any of them. You can't trust your insurance company. You can't, can't trust the Red Cross, can you? You can't. Why is the Red Cross here? What is their, why do they have billions of dollars and they won't help us? Like, and, and so it, it, it very, very quickly became divided again. Even though we had those moments of unity, difficulty tends to divide the kingdom of the world. That's how it works. And, and so as that division and stuff comes in, um, we, we have to like just kind of know that that's one of the, of the trends. But cultural unity is one thing. But when we're talking about the kingdom of, of God, it's, it's a different conversation. So yes, in, in culture and in society and all these kinds of things, that, that unity is very important and good. And we should strive for that. And we should be peacemakers who are leading out in the process of those things. When you think about the kingdom of God, and you look, about, you look at the storyline of history, according to what the Bible tells us, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. In terms of what it means to be a Christian, from what, you know, the Bible, it's, it's mysteriously written, but it seems to say, if you follow the storyline, um, Thing, things are going to get cranked up at some point and it's going to become more and more costly to be a believer. And as that difficulty sets in, I found myself thinking yesterday, I wonder what's going to happen when it, as it gets more and more difficult. Uh, is that going to unify us or is that pressure going to divide us? We talk a lot about community the word community, it's common unity. That here has, God has, has given us this life together. And that common unity is essential not only in getting through like the, the, like, the normal like life is hard things that we have to get through, but also the completely other end of the spectrum that we very well may, may face at some point where being a Christian could cost you your life. 
So if you think of it as a spectrum, one, on one end, it's like, man, life is hard. The other end of the spectrum is death to all Christians. Everywhere on that whole spectrum, the unity of the body of Christ is essential. We, we don't sit around and wait for terrible things, terrible things to happen again. Come on, guys, let's all lock arms, you know? We're locking arms if there's the normal stuff, you know? The normal everyday things that are not necessarily costing us our lives, but it's difficult. So the community that he's put us in, as we are unified in the midst of difficulty, it's not only countercultural in a way that points people to Christ, you know? Like you think about it, things get more difficult. Who, who gets closer? The Christians. Wouldn't that be the, a great narrative? Like, man, the world's going crazy. But you know who's not freaked out? The Christians. We need to ask them, what do you know that I don't know? And then we can tell them. That's what should, that's what should happen. Not only, not only will, we, will we be countercultural if we are unified in the midst of difficulty in, in a way that points people to Christ, we will be formed more and more into the image of the one we're made in. Because we are made in the image of a triune God, in the image of a community. I listened to a, uh, someone was teaching this, this, this weekend. They kept, kept saying, uh, we're made in the image of a we, not an I. And so there's a lot of benefit in us really taking, taking a breath and saying, okay, when things get difficult, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And in normal, everyday life, that can be difficult, what am I supposed to do? And we see some things here that I believe, if, if you trace down, why did they do this? Well, it's because they were taught that way by the disciples who were taught by Jesus. We're, we are in that, that, like, that first level of discipleship. This is, there's something to pay attention to here. So that's a long introduction. Uh, let, me, uh, let me get down business here. All right, look at verse 32 again. Now the full number of those who believed were one uh, of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There's not a needy person among them for... As many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, just a reminder... They're in the midst of persecution by the religious leaders and the government leaders, and thousands of people are away from home. They have they've made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Um, they're maybe not necessarily with their family members, or they're they're not at, at their homes. They're not you know they're so they're relying on the hospitality of other people, or it's costing them a lot to be there. They probably have saved up money to be able to come and stay in Jerusalem for the festival. And now they wound up sticking around because they're suddenly filled with the spirit and they're like, what, where else would I want to be? Um, and so a part of this life was them, like everybody taking care of each other. 
But as the persecution ramped up, what would have happened is that those who lived in Jerusalem uh, would have probably lost their jobs. It would have started to cost them financially as well. Um, and so this group suddenly became, they became cut off from the different revenue streams that were providing you know, things like food and shelter and stuff like that. And so what did they do here? I'm just going to read a couple of the highlights from what I just read. Uh, well, here, uh, in the midst of all that, no one said any of the stuff belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. No one was needy among them. And if they, had, if they owned land like Barnabas did, uh, they decided to go and sell it. And they took the proceeds of what they made and they brought it to the apostles and they said, take care of everybody with this money. How would the kingdom of the world respond in the midst of something like this? Where, where scarcity becomes the norm. What are we taught in the kingdom of the world? We're, we're taught that hoarding is what you do. And here's how we know this. The great toilet paper shortage of 2019 COVID, whatever it was. Right? I remember vividly, I was at Walmart the first rumors had started to trickle in of that, hey, this virus, they're going to probably start to, you know, lock things down. And I remember I was at Walmart and I saw a lady and she, it was stacked up with toilet paper a whole bunch to the point where my first thought was, is she okay? <laughs> like, just, is she okay? And then my second thought was, what does she know that I do not know? Because I started to notice that there was lots of people stacked up with toilet paper in, the, in their buggies. And there was no toilet paper on the aisles at all. And my first instinct is, I am behind the curve on this preparation, you know? Um, that's, how, that's how you know that hoarding is what the kingdom of the world does. Because the rumor, the rumor got out there, and everybody started to panic. Everybody started to buy it all up. And thank goodness for GP right up the road. They're like, we, we got you. Uh, and, and so they, they, those guys got to work. And, um, but that's, that's how it works is when scarcity kicks in, the kingdom of the world says, you better put the walls up. You better start stockpiling. And here in this story, the religious persecution kicks in and it would have been very easy for him to say, I don't, I don't know you. You're not from here. In fact, there were people f- that lived in Samaria who were a part of this number. And you know who hated the Samaritans? The Jews. There was a, there was a, a racist history there that would, that would baffle us if, if we had a, a full understanding of the kind of hatred and the viewpoint that was there. And so you, you have this situation where by worldly like, standards, it would have made sense to hoard and to keep and to push others away and to say, hey, you, you got to fend for yourself. But not the people of God. For them, other people were more important than their stuff and their money, and their possessions. It's where Barnabas is like, I got a, I got a field. I can, I can make some money off that field. Does he go and sell the field and then keep the money to himself? No. He brings it to the apostles and says, I, I trust you guys to do, like to take care of people with this. 
If you read in the next chapter, there's a story about another couple who they sold a field and they, uh, they didn't give all the money. They gave some money to the apostles, but they kept some for themselves, which was, which they were not under some sort of obligation to give it all to the apostles. That was just the normal thing. They kept some to themselves, but they lied about it and it did not end well for them. They were operating under that kingdom of the world mindset of like, well, what about me? And the people of God are thinking, what, what about others? What about everybody else? How can we take care of each other? So when we're thinking that our, that my, our, our possessions, our money, all those kind of things, we really have to have a mindset that's like, well, it's not really mine, it's all the Lord's. It belongs to him. I, as his son, am stewarding some of it. And if one of his other sons or daughters needs it, then we're, we're siblings, so why shouldn't you have it? And if I don't have the, the cash on hand to make that happen, am I willing to go and sell some things? Facebook Marketplace has made it super easy to do that. We've been, we've been selling old speakers. John's been selling old speakers on Facebook Marketplace so fast. We have all these speakers taking up room, and they're all gone. People love speakers, I guess, still. But, but are we willing to part with the things, not just the like, old cruddy stuff that we don't want anymore, are you willing to part with the things that you have that uh, would really make you have to think for a second? You know, we we need to continue to let him form us into the kind of people who wouldn't even think twice about selling stuff in order to help meet a need. So where there is division. There's a hierarchy that develops, and hoarding will come from there. But what we see with them is where there's unity, generosity develops. And so a lot of it comes down to, will will difficulty divide us or will it unify us? Because that unity, we realize that we're one and we're equal, so I, why wouldn't I be generous? So we're formed more and more into this, like into the image of our generous God by practicing generosity now. We don't just practice generosity when, when a crisis kicks in. We're always practicing generosity. You know, when there's a, when there's a big catastrophe uh, and all, you know, celebrities and all these people raising like all this kinds of money. There are people that's the one time they ever they ever take their money and send it to someone else for the benefit of of a stranger or for a cause. But the people of God, you know, He's built that rhythm into our world, like He's built it into just who we are. That we're constantly bringing our money to Him. We're saying, uh, God, well, I'm trusting that you will use this to, to further what you're trying to do. And that you'll provide for me with everything else that is left. And if I need to give more, I'm willing to give more. So we're, we're being cultivated in that way. We need to be teaching our kids. We need to be grooming them and, and teaching them that mindset about money. Um, because that is what our God looks like. And uh, that's who he's called us to be. And uh, it is countercultural in a way that will make people look at you weird and want to know why are you doing that. And you get to say, well, his name is Jesus. That's why I'm doing that. 
Second thing that we see, um, so the, so the first kind of expression of that unity is generosity. The second one, that there is a trust among them. There's a trust that's there. Here's a couple of, my specific examples would be, there's twice in that passage where it says that people who owned, who owned, you know, property sold it and they brought the money to the apostles to meet the needs. And then there were no needy people among them. So the, the trust that I'm talking about, um, is, is happening. It's, it's kind of this like cyclical thing among them relationally that's going on where you have, um, you have this persecution coming down and what the kingdom of the world would tell us to do is as difficulty sets in your level of mistrust of others goes up. Things are getting difficult. Well, it's somebody's fault. Somebody's looking for a way to, uh, to make a buck off of this. Someone's withholding something from me. Think the kingdom of the world, the pattern in, in that would be a, like this, that, that mistrust. Uh, you think about the, um, the, think about COVID when it, when it first, when the coronavirus first came out and we're all kind of like, you're looking at Europe and you're like, oh man, this is about to get crazy. We kind of batten down the hatches a little bit. We're praying. It didn't take too long before it was like, I don't know about this Fauci guy. <laughs> I don't know about the old CDC. I think they're, I think they're up to something. I keep, I watch CNN for a little while and I watch Fox News for a little while and they're not really saying the same thing. I'm not sure, I'm not sure who to believe here. I'm not sure if the media is telling us the whole truth. I'm not sure if the government has our best interests in mind. I'm not sure if I can trust my neighbor or my friend or my family or whatever it may be. It doesn't take long before we stop trusting in the midst of difficulty. And yet here we see this group of Christians and there, and there's, and there's kind of two, two rhythms of trust going on. One is people who have a need trusting the community enough to say it, to, to be vulnerable and say, I, I can't, I, I have no food, you know, I have nowhere to stay. Uh, I don't know the language here. I don't know the customs here. I don't know this. I'm, I'm not from Jerusalem. I'm, I'm a stranger here that they look at all those people and there's, they trust them enough to say, let me, let me share my, let me be vulnerable and share my need with you. That takes a lot, doesn't it? I mean, it takes a lot, it takes a lot for a community group who's been together for years for you to kind of like, Hey, let me lay all my cards on the table. Imagine for strangers in the midst of persecution, when your instinct is every, every man for himself, nobody trusts anybody. And you gather them around and say, hey, I need to tell you something. I, 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 I've not eaten in days. So there's a, there's a trust that's there. There's also a trust in the, the people giving leadership to all this, in the apostles. Because it says they brought the money, they laid it at the feet of the apostles. So they had to trust their leaders. They had to trust one another. They had to trust that the Lord like, really was doing what the Lord does. And all of that goes against the instinct of what we're trained in our world. Our world says you can't, you can't lay all your cards on the table with people. 
because they're going to judge you. They're going to talk about you later. They're going to th- they're going to think very differently. They're going to treat you differently. They're going to reject you, and you've already been rejected so much. There's no way you can endure that again. It's much better just to say, "Oh yeah, things are fine. Things are good. Blessed." It's hard to trust people because we're conditioned to think everyone has an, a, an agenda that is against you. And yet here, these baby Christians, something had happened in the way that they live life together when they say that hey, it is completely safe for me to admit my vulnerability. Probably because they had watched people go and sell their fields and bring the money in and say, who needs something? I did this for you. There's something about all those things working together and about having leaders who are giving, who are giving oversight to it that there had to be a trust in the midst of a situation where nobody was really wanting to be very trustworthy. And so what do, what, what do we do? Well, we practice trust with each other. We, we do this. We don't wait for a crisis to suddenly become like, oh, I guess, I guess now's the time to trust the leaders or I guess it's time to trust one another. No, we, we have a rhythm of, that's a part of our common unity, is that Jesus has made it safe in the kingdom of God to admit you don't have it all together, to admit that you have a need or that you made a bad decision, you've kind of gotten yourself into a bind or admit that you don't know what to do or whatever it might be. And I was listening to uh, I was listening to a podcast. I confess, uh, sometimes I like make fun of podcasts, but uh, I was listening to a podcast, and it was on uh, like the science, like it was like neuroscience and how trauma uh, affects the brain. And without getting like super deep into the, all the nerdy stuff, there is science that now proves that when when you share your pain with someone and they respond with grace and truth, that your brain literally heals a little bit from the pain and the trauma that you went through. The fear is, I don't want to share with you because if you react poorly, that just compiles the pain. It does more damage to the like neurons in my brain. And so we're terrified of that, so we pull back and we don't really live in that kind of vulnerability but the science says, no, 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 no. If you, will, if you will share that with people who are trustworthy, when they respond, uh, actually you both heal a little bit. And it's almost as if we have a divine creator who made our brains to work in such a way that as his community comes together, he gives them a whole list of one another's, including bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, all of these things that we see, it's almost like he did it on purpose, right? Like, hey, I want to heal all the pain that you've been through down to the science and the way that your brain works. So just do these things. Listen with grace and with truth as people trust you to share as they're sharing their stories. And you do the same for them. And let the whole community just recognize that the Christ in each other is worth trusting. He's worth it. And yes, sometimes people don't respond very well to the things that we say. And that's on them. But I have to think that God loves it when his kids trust him and trust one another in a way that allows us to, to like 
continue to be these kinds of people. And so we're formed by doing this in all the little ways, which is why we structure our small groups the way that we do. And it's, it's, why, it's, it's why we do everything the way that we do it, as interpersonally as we possibly can. Because what we're doing is we're, we're letting God pull us out of a culture of mistrust and into one where I trust you people. I may not trust like the, the government or the media or you know, whatever, whatever it may be, but I trust you. And I hope that you trust me. And we'll be in it together no matter what happens, whether it's on one end of this, whether it's on the life is hard sometimes end of the spectrum, or it's the death to all Christians end of the spectrum, we're, we'll do it together. And there has to be that trust that's there. So they were generous and they trusted each other. And then the last thing, real quick, look, at, look down in chapter 5. We're going to skip the Ananias and Sapphira story because it's a whole thing. Uh, but look at 12. That's the couple that lied to the Holy Spirit. I'll just say, don't, don't do it. <laughs> uh, just don't do it. Now look at verse 12. Many signs and wonders were uh, regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Talking about the apostles. Uh, and more than ever, believers were added to the, to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So that, listen to this, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least the shadow, his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Here's, here's the last thing. Um, when, the, when things got really difficult, there, there was a synergy about the mission. In the kingdom of the world, when things get really difficult, we throw out as much as we possibly can. It's like an airplane going down, and you're like, let's get as much of the cargo as we can to lighten the plane. That's how it feels like sometimes when, when things get really difficult, it's like everything off the window except, out the window except for the very like, most important things. And sometimes the mission of God is on that list of things that kind of become optional. It happens. That's what happens around, around our world sometimes is things get really difficult and everyone's kind of like, okay, and they kind of go into, like, you get this tunnel vision, but it's not the right kind of tunnel vision. So for them, as, as the intensity, like, ratcheted up, they got more faithful, more driven. They're like, we're going we're gonna to ask for boldness. We're going to pray more. We're going to start to bring the sick out into the streets and hope that like that Peter's like shadow is long enough to cover some of the people. I mean, like that was there was so much that was going on, and they were together every day in Solomon's portico. There was a togetherness that's there, and I have to think that that had something to do with the fact that they didn't all just abandon the mission in the midst of the difficulty. They actually ran into it. I've said this, uh, talked about this before. Nine eleven. Everyone's running away from the buildings, but not the firemen. They're running straight at it. And that's what, that's what we see here is persecution is unifying them, but not unifying them only around like taking care of each other. It's also like we're taking care of each other so that we can be more faithful with making sure that people know who Christ is. If that is what is happening, everybody's playing their role. The mission was clear. And perhaps this is why 
God says, don't forsake the assembling together of one another. Do not take this out of your life. You meet in groups and you meet with other believers as much as you can because it's so easy to get distracted by the difficulty of life. And when we're together, aren't, don't, don't you find yourself reminded of some things? That's why I like the fact that we sing a bunch of different kinds of songs because these songs are all, they're not all saying the same exact thing. There are aspects of the gospel and of God's character and his faithfulness. There's things that you're like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I needed to be reminded of that. Oh, it's so good to have people singing that over me because I don't really know that I believe that right now. I'm, I'm so glad that I, that I gathered together with the people of God and now I'm ready to be propelled into my week, into the mission. That's what's supposed to happen. And it is easy when life gets difficult to abandon that. And that's been one of the hardest things about the coronavirus is that here we are needing to be together and we, we can't, you know, we can't in the way that we're used to. It's just been a, just a really weird experience, you know. After the flood happened, we had that first Sunday where everyone's just trying to dry out. But that next Sunday, I bet uh, I bet when Sherwood got together, when Living Hope got together, that was, there was some, that was a hard one to get through, you know. Because we were on the other side of a tragedy and people you hadn't seen yet and just to, be, to sing together and to pray together. And it was like so cathartic. And here we're not able to do that. And I really think that once, once there's something for this coronavirus thing, we're able to be back together. I don't know that we'll ever look at the gathering of the saints the same way. And I think a part of what we see here is that life is hard. It's going to get harder. And the togetherness of God's people is essential for that. So their unity, we see it in their generosity and we see it in their trust and we see it in that synergy that happens. And we are able to practice the same, the same things. And we're not on the end of the spectrum of the death to all Christians into the spectrum. At this point, for our community, that's probably not what we're walking in. But there's other stuff on the other end of the spectrum and maybe in, in between there, there's hard stuff that you're going through. Will you put into practice the trust? Will you trust the people around you enough to be vulnerable and to, to let, let, let their gifts bless you? Will you develop a rhythm of generosity that you're you're always seeing people as more valuable than your stuff. Can there be a synergy about our mission that we don't get such tunnel vision about coronavirus and just trying to like get through this that we lose sight of the fact that this is an opportunity for us to, to be who we are? There's a lot of other ways that unity can be expressed, but I, love, I do love those three. And I think as we, uh, if you were to follow the rest of the book of Acts, there's a, re- there's a reason why when the, pers- when the real like, persecution bomb dropped and they all said, it's time to go home, they went home and they brought the gospel with them. And because they did, we're all here. We're all here. So, um, the unity that God brings with his people, is, it's incredible. And it all begins with unity around who he is.
And so whatever that you're going through right now, wherever it is on a spectrum of difficulty, um, you know that God's with you. And the people of God are also with you. If the people of God don't know what you're going through, it's hard for them to be with you in the ways that they need to be with you. So uh, if you sense God kind of drawing you out of the shadows a little bit and uh, bringing some people in, in the loop on some stuff, um, don't, don't deny that. You know? Don't leave that here. If you're watching my live stream at home, don't leave it, don't leave it where you are. Uh, we, we want to walk together through all seasons of life no matter what struggles or victories come our way. Let me read this last verse to you. This is in Luke 12. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Everybody loves that verse. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he says, Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom so you can give it all away. You can give all of you away. It's perfectly safe. Because he's guaranteed something for you that cannot be touched by a virus or a world war or persecution or anything else that's going to come out. Nothing, nothing can truly harm you. Because of what he has done. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this uh, this example that we have from uh, from the very early uh, moms and dads of the church. I'm thankful for their example. I'm thankful that in the midst of persecution, they they didn't default to the world they had been trained and grown up in. There had to be a part of them that really thought, what did, what did Jesus teach us? As the apostles relayed that to all these new believers, they chose to grab onto it and say, okay, everything's going to be okay. It's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So whatever we have to do to take care of each other and to walk by faith and not by sight and to make sure that people know who Jesus is, we're ready to do it. God, you alone, you know how this fits into the lives in this room. Those who are watching on the live stream or watching later on. And so I ask that you help us to know how to drag this into our lives. And um, in, in such a way that we're able to, to step into that example. And to, to get through the difficulty that we're facing now. And what we will face in the future. That we would always be reminded that you are with us. And you've given us one another as tangible reminders of the fact that you are with us. We love you very much. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together. and We're just going to sing a little bit. You can, of course, pray uh, if you need just some time with the Lord. Um, But I said this a bunch of years ago. I just had the thought that, um, you know, when Jesus talks about the parable of the sower and the the seeds of the kingdom are planted and there's a, one of the options is that a bird comes and takes that seed and flies away. That uh, that's what the enemy wants to do is he doesn't want anything God stirred in you today or has been stirring in you leading up to today. He doesn't want it on the, 
the enemy wants it to stay on the surface so he can snatch it, you know, so he can take it and distract you. And sometimes church services are meant to kind of like drive that seed down deep in there and pack some dirt on top of it. And so let's use our last moments together as time to pack that dirt on top of it so that uh, that what has been planted in us can grow and take root and bear the fruit that we want to see. So.